Welcome to Messy Closet, the spiritual journey of Generation X. I'm Roseanne Carlo, and here we explore the 70s, 80s, and 90s in New York City and the lessons my friends and I may or may not have learned. Hi, and thanks for tuning back in. I am so excited to bring you this podcast complete from the Podbean app because my soundtrack is completely down and now Podbean has a way for me to record and bring you Messy Closet Podcast right from my phone. So I am going to give you guys the lowdown on Ticketmaster, which on Tuesday sat before Congress and went through hearings with the Taylor Swift ticket fiasco. And I just want to say that I know this is not completely and only about Taylor Swift, but all of the music out there and all of the ticket sales. And let's just get into a little bit of history about Ticketmaster. So it was founded in 1976, my year of birth, in Phoenix, Arizona, by college staffers Albert Leffler and Peter Godwa, as well as businessman Gordon Gunn III, and Albert came up with Ticketmaster as the new name, and a year later in 1977, Electric Light Orchestra at the University of New Mexico is Ticketmaster's first ticketed concert. So back then and through a large portion of the 90s, we found out about concerts on the radio. So it was your local radio station, word of mouth, you know, something like that. We didn't have obviously the internet to tell us anything and very rarely were concerts announced on the news or in the newspaper. But about 81, when MTV rolled around, it became a little bit easier to find out about these concerts. So in 1978, the first international clients signed in Oslo, Norway, and the Louisiana Superdome is the first major venue signed. And then the NBA New Orleans Jazz, which is now the Utah Jazz, signed on to sell their tickets through Ticketmaster. In 1980, the first Canadian client signed on as the National Arts Center, and they are in Ottawa. And in 81, Ticketmaster UK is established in the heart of London's West End above the Albury Theatre. So this is when you literally worked for the company and walked into a building in the heart of a big city, which is really cool because now those are all, I don't know, what are they? Are they call centers now? I wonder. What is it? Who runs it? Is everyone at home? Are they in a cubicle? Interesting questions, at least to me. So, in 1982, Fred Rosen is appointed Ticketmaster's CEO and moves the company to L.A., where its headquarters is still based today. And then in 83, they signed the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra and LA Forum, LA Lakers, and LA Kings, a deal with Arsenal, and that is the longest standing client of the company. And then in 84, they launched a whole new logo. And then it took until 1987 to establish a Canadian base out of Toronto. And then in 88, they launched ticket operations in Australia. So this is still when you had to wait. Now, 
when you waited for these things in the mail, it takes about five to seven days for something to arrive in the mail. And then it takes six to eight weeks for it to come back. So we were all like always nervous, <laughs> totally nervous about, you know, what was, if we were, if our tickets were going to come on time. So 1991, Ticketmaster acquires its major competition, which is Ticketron. And I do remember Ticketron as well. They were cheaper. And then in 1994, my year of high school graduation, barcode ticketing launches with the Cleveland Indians at Jacobs Field and tickets for the Kids Youth Incentive Program was established in Atlanta, Georgia. So in 1994, the World Cup, Ticketmaster sold all of those tickets, which was the highest attended World Cup in history and the highest attended single event in United States history. Wow. So in 1995, Ticketmaster.com launches, and this was just at the birth of the internet. So they had this integrated ticketing platform called Arctix, and that was introduced. And then the barcode scanning was debuted at a race event for the NHRA in Pomona, California. And there you go in Charlotte Coliseum. There was the first scanners. So that was 1995. And in 1996, they launched their first ever ticket sales via internet for the Seattle Mariners. And then in that year, it became publicly traded on NASDAQ. 97, Ticketmaster launched in Ireland. And in 98, Ticketmaster.co.uk launched and is rated the UK's number one ticketing website by Hitwise. And then the first portable wireless scanner debuts at the Reunion Arena in Dallas. LiveDaily.com debuts. And in 1998, they establish operations in Mexico. 1999, puts us into the Y2K era. Everyone was looking to go into the future. So they gave a logo redesigned and they have a joint venture with the Australian formed Seven Network. So we pop into Y2K 2000 and they secure an online management account for the season ticket sales for the Dallas Mavericks. And then in that year, it's Print at Home, Ticket Fast, which is a copyright online ticket delivery service, debuts for the Staples Center and Admission Canada and Ticket Web and Vista. So everyone's able to print these tickets out now. And then in 2001, they acquired Reserve America and they launched in Norway. They also developed a deal with Clear Channel, which is now Live Nation. And that was to provide ticketing for their events. And as part of the deal, the small center in Manchester was also acquired. And then in 2002, they sell all the tickets for the Manchester Commonwealth Games. And then that year, they also launch in the Netherlands and Denmark. And then they add word verification to any online transactions to prevent automated access. So I guess that means being charged double, but that's happened sometimes. And then season ticket holder resale for 
the Columbus Blue Jackets, that service debuted. So that was a big year in 2002. And in 2003, the first ever online auction conducted for the Lewis Johnson Heavyweight Champion for AEG and Staples Centers was done by Ticketmaster. Then they finally launch in Sweden and Finland in 2004, and they sell all the tickets to the 2004 Athens Olympic Games. In 2005, the ticket exchange resale service debuts. So this is the year, the pivotal year, where people are able to now resell their tickets online. And they also made a debut and established in New Zealand and Germany. So now we're adding all of these countries in and now you can exchange and resell on the web. So this is where it gets tricky because before that you would have to send in a bunch of money, write a big check, wait six to eight weeks, get the tickets, go to the concert, Hope you can scalp the tickets. People still do that. I did this in the late 90s for Jamiroquai when a friend was getting the tickets for us. We said get three. He only got three, but there were four of us. I was disappointed, but I was ready to stay home. And then the decision was made that we all go down and scalp a ticket. I said, let me do it. Someone else did it. They paid $150 to see Jamiroquai. Standing room only at Roseland, but it was not a fake ticket. And that was a big part of what the problem was with scalping back in the day was the fact that you could get fake tickets. And when the barcode came through, you could definitely tell if it was a fake ticket or not. So where the barcodes are good is you know that you've got just one ticket for that one person. They can't give it to someone else. They used to rip it. And if you could hand it to your friend, they would take the ripped ticket and walk inside. But now it's all digital. So in 2006, Spain and Turkey launch their Ticketmaster sales. And the first auction launched in the UK with the Guinness Premiership Final. And then they went to mobile ticketing. So 2006, mobile ticket and O2 wireless festivals. And they sold all the tickets for the 2006 Melbourne Commonwealth Games. In 2007, more than 2 million free iTunes songs were given to Ticketmaster.com customers. And they have now established a resale partnership with the NBA, NFL, and NHL. In 2008, Giwa Ticketmaster sells all of the tickets for the 2008 Beijing Olympics and the online resale marketplace tickets now in the U.S. and Get Me In in the U.K. are acquired. So they're just acquiring, acquiring. It's just becoming a huge conglomerate. And then in that same year, 2008, they launch VIP packages. And then they debut paperless tickets in the UK with Metallica at the O2 Arena. And it is the largest paperless event with over 18,000 people attending. I could see that though. It's Metallica, master of puppets, ticket master of puppets. Good deal. I like the whole theme of that. 
And then paperless tickets launch in the U.S. for the Tom Waits tour. And Ticketmaster spins out from IAC, begins trading on NASDAQ under the ticker TKTM. And Ticketmaster and RIM partner to bring mobile ticket purchasing to the BlackBerry. That is fantastic. So they were expanding out of how you could buy your tickets. You didn't just have to use now a desktop or a laptop. And in 2008, they partnered with Yahoo. I read that as Yoohoo. Oh my God. But I said Yahoo out loud, thankfully. And then in 2008, Ticketmaster acquires Frontline Management and becomes Ticketmaster Entertainment Inc. In 2009, Ticketmaster appoints official ticketing services. They are the provider officially for the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. And then in the year 2009, they surpass the sales of 1 million paperless tickets. They sell a record-breaking number of tickets for Michael Jackson's 50-day residency at the O2 in the UK. And following the singer's death, all tickets can either be kept or refunded. It depended. They were good about that. They put that in their own website. This is from Ticketmaster.com. So they felt the need to say that, but that's nice. But they sold a record-breaking number for that 50-day residency for Michael Jackson. That's amazing. And then in 2010, Ticketmaster Entertainment and Live Nation merged to form Live Nation Entertainment. And 13 years later, everyone's fighting them because they have had all of this time and all of this money to make themselves huge. So there's Ticketmaster in front of Congress and they're getting grilled. So these lawmakers are like, hey, you know, the Swifties are right. They're on to something and they really gave excuses. I'm just going to give you some quick takeaways. First, they blamed it on the bots. So Burkold partly blamed the Swift ticket fiasco on Bots. Now, bots are people, but they're not real people. I don't know how they would be able to purchase tickets considering you have to have all different kinds of IDs. I am not a robot. You have to have, you know, some kind of credit card or bank card to be able to do that. And as far as I know with bots from Johnny Depp and from hearing that bot Sentinel may have things to do with like the Markles and stuff like that. I just really think that they're more online nuisances to just stir the pot than they would be purchasers of tickets. But that's just me. I don't think it was bots. I think it was scalpers because I did a little bit of digging. And within that digging, I found out that I think it was on YouTube or somewhere that there are scalpers who have deals with Ticketmaster, Live Nation, whatever it is, and they tell them exactly when the tickets are going to go on sale because some of these Taylor Swift tickets were like $22,000 on resale on the app. So they're getting all of the fees in XYZ. They're getting more and more, like thousands and thousands of dollars. You do that a hundred times. You've got $100,000 of just fees from people. And then the entertainment industry has been pushing back at Ticketmaster's dominance because there is nowhere else for them to go. And if they won't sell your tickets, you're not going to sell out. And then, of course, that the customers pay the price because they're putting a wall between 
the artist and their fans. They're putting a wall between love and life. You know, some people live for concerts. I do. I love every single one that I get to see at Bethel Woods. And then they're saying that all the lawmakers are saying that a Ticketmaster merger should be on the table. So what else could they merge with? I don't know. There's no easy answers to any of this. And, you know, there's just all of these concerns over like security and fees and pressure for accountability. But where is the accountability? They stopped selling tickets for Taylor Swift after everything crashed and the prices were outrageous. She and her team fired back saying that they explicitly asked if this could be handled. And they said, yes, apparently Ticketmaster, it wasn't handled. It's just funny to me that the Democrats and Republicans both decided to choose this and daylight savings time, which they could have done for this year. It doesn't need to get dark so early. Again, just my opinion, but they chose this rather than big pharma or gun control. They're choosing Ticketmaster. It just seems strange to me to bring this before Congress, but I do understand that regular people who just want to see their favorite artist in concert are getting ripped off. So it is doing something for the people. It is nice to see the Democrats and the Republicans united on something and if it's for art, great. I'm, I'm honestly shocked. And the other thing that I really do want to say is that the one thing that's wrong with digital tickets is the fact that you don't get to keep your ticket stub. You don't get to keep anything like that. You lose the magic of seeing that little ripped piece of paper, remembering you went to see Ozzy or something. But that's just my thought on it. I don't know. I just hope that ticket prices do come down, but the artists still can make their money. And that's it. That's my hope. So with that, I thank Podbean for allowing me to bring you my latest podcast all about Ticketmaster to you from the app. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Messy Closet. Sorry, there's no intro or outro music. I haven't figured that part out yet. But don't forget to keep art and keep love alive.